Welcome to this message from the teaching ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Orlando, Florida, under the leadership of Senior Pastor Mike Osborne. Good morning. Uh, This morning we're reading from uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. For those of you who may be using Bibles under the seats in front of you, this can be found on page 1162. Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. I hope in the Lord Jesus Christ to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor men like him because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. This is the word of the Lord. This is our last sermon in our study of the book of Philippians. If you've been here with us at UPC for the past few months, you know that we started this study some time ago and I've entitled it to know Christ and to make him known. I trust that God has used this uh, study of the book of Philippians in our lives to help us to know him better and to help us be equipped to go out and acquaint our world with him more effectively. So as we look into Philippians this morning for the last time, let's bow our heads and let me lead us in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who inspired it. Thank you for the Apostle Paul who wrote it under the inspiration of your spirit. And thank you that your Holy Spirit is here even today with us, still taking this ancient document, the book of Philippians, and using it in our everyday life to equip and prepare us to be more like Jesus, to know you, and to make you known to others. Lord, we pray that that will indeed happen this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Earlier today, I referred you to this Bible verse on the back wall. This is the Great Commission, right? And it is our mission as a church, as it should be the mission of every Christian, to go and make disciples of all nations. But there are two things about that Bible verse that you might not know or perhaps escape your thought when you think about it. There are two things about it that are a little bit, might be surprising. One is the fact that the word go in the Greek language in which this was written, 
was actually a participle, not an imperative. So it's better translated as, as you are going, make disciples of all nations. As you are going, wherever you happen to be, as you go, make disciples of all nations. The imperative is the make disciples. That's the command. And so wherever you are, at work, at school, in the neighborhood, when you're going shopping, we are always to have this mentality that, that, that says, I am here to make disciples. The other thing that's a little bit perhaps outside your consciousness is the fact that when it does say make disciples, it's a plural verb, second person plural. It's This is the way the Bible should be read. Y'all go make disciples. See, we Southerners, we get it right. Y'all make disciples. If I could plagiarize, it takes a village to make disciples. God wants us together to be about the task of making disciples. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Why is that? Why does God say to us collectively to do the very best that we can to make disciples of all nations? Well, one reason is that God's concern with his gospel is not just to change individual lives, but to change communities. He is creating a new humanity. God wants, through the gospel, to create a new society. He's not just interested in individual transformation. He's interested in societal transformation. And so, if Jesus is interested in changing societies, then he wants us to be in here what he wants to create out there. And we need to spend some time, from time to time, talking about what we need to be in here. In other words, what kind of gospel atmosphere do we need to build at UPC? There needs to be a certain air that we breathe in this place when we're together so that we become in here what God wants to create out there. The only way those people out there will know what it is to be the new society is if they look at people like UPC and other churches and see the kind of changes in us that God wants to make in them. So what kind of relational culture do we want to build here at UPC? What is this gospel atmosphere supposed to be like? Well, I want us to look at this passage that Tim read, and I'm going to talk about three things, three ingredients, you might say, of a gospel atmosphere. Three things that we need, by God's grace, to build here in our church so that as we go make disciples, we will be a part of God's plan to create out there what we're supposed to experience in here. Three things. First, the gospel atmosphere we need in here is characterized by joyful sacrifice. Secondly, humble vulnerability. And third, a missional mindset. So I'm going to go fairly rapidly because we've got the Lord's Supper today. But these ideas, we will revisit them from time to time. I want you to think about them hard. Let's begin with the first thing that a gospel atmosphere looks like. It's to be marked by joyful sacrifice. The atmosphere that we need at UPC is one in which we gladly express sacrificial, practical concern for one another. 
And we see this modeled in this passage by these two men named Timothy and Epaphroditus. Let's talk first about Timothy. Who was Timothy? Timothy was Paul's dearly loved son. That's what he calls him many times in some of the letters. Timothy was the son of a Jewish woman and a Gentile man. Paul probably met Timothy on his first missionary journey. He discipled him. He led him to Christ. And after that point, Timothy and Paul were sort of joined at the hip. Timothy followed Paul around on a lot of his trips and journeys. And Paul sent Timothy as his emissary to a lot of the churches that he planted. He's referred to in the very first verse of the letter where Paul says he begins the letter by saying, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. So Timothy is with Paul when he's writing the letter to the Philippians. And do you remember where Paul is? He's in prison. He's in prison in Rome. He's under house arrest. And I'll have more to say about that later. But Timothy, he's not under house arrest, but he comes and visits Paul quite often to encourage Paul and to spend some time as his companion. Look at verse 19 and 20 with me, the first two verses of our text. It says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered. That word means encouraged. When I receive news about you, I have no one else like him. Listen to that. I have no one else like Timothy who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. That word or that phrase, genuine interest, it literally means that Timothy really and truly cares for the Philippians. It means that he has anxious concern for the Philippians. He's worried about the Philippians while he is there in Rome with Paul. In in my own paraphrase, what I'm hearing Paul say is Timothy is constantly thinking about you, you Philippians. He tosses and turns at night over you Philippians. He is praying for you. He is happy when you are flourishing. If you're not hap- if you're not flourishing, Timothy is unhappy. I have no one else like this man, Timothy. That's how highly Paul thinks of this man. Timothy models joyful sacrifice. And then the second guy that we meet in this text is Epaphroditus. Now, all we know about this guy is to be found here in the book of Philippians. Not a lot known about him. He came from Philippi to bring Paul gifts while Paul was there in prison. He came from Philippi, it says in verse 25, to take care of Paul's needs. But somewhere along the way, or perhaps after he arrived in Rome, Epaphroditus got terribly sick. It says in verse 27 and verse 30 that he almost died from whatever it was that he had. Verse 30 says that he risked his life to make up for the help that the Philippians could not give Paul because of the distance. So he got sick. He is about to die, but he served Paul and he took care of Paul's needs. Like Timothy, he put the interests and the needs and the welfare of others above his own. I'm really struck by this fellow Epaphroditus in verse 26. Look, Catch this with me. It says in verse 26 that Epaphroditus longs for you all. And that longs means he is, he is yearning, he is groaning for the Philippians. But then it says that he is distressed because, he, because you heard he was ill. Now, if I'm sick, I kind of like it when everybody knows about it. Don't you? I'm sort of glad that other people know about my distress. But that's not what Epaphroditus feels. His distress 
comes because the Philippians heard that he was sick. That distressed Epaphroditus. And that word distressed is a, is a really strong word. It means intensely troubled and sorrowful. You know the only other place that word is found in the New Testament? Is in the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus was sweating drops of blood, he was distressed. It's the same exact Greek word. So Epaphroditus' distress was not that he was sick, but that the Philippians had heard that he was sick. You see, what that means is that their sorrow was cause for his own sorrow. Their burden became his burden. So what is it that that Timothy and Epaphroditus are modeling for us here? A spirit of joyful sacrifice, putting others' needs above their own. What is sacrifice? Sacrifice is what happens when you give up or give away something that you need because the needs of others are more important than your own. Sometimes my wife and I will take things down to the Goodwill truck in the Lowe's parking lot. That's not sacrifice. We're giving away things we don't want. That's the whole point. It's taking up room. Let's get rid of it. That's not sacrifice. Sacrifice is saying, I need this. I really want this. I could really use this. But I see this person over here who needs and wants it more. So joyful sacrifice is what that is. Sacrifice is when you're dead tired. All you want to do is prop your feet up and turn on TV and not listen to anybody. And your toddler comes up to you and says, Will you play with me, Daddy? Will you read to me, Mommy? Sacrifice is when your washer is on the fritz, but you bring your tithe to the church anyway. Sacrifice is when you hear that somebody else's car is in the shop but you figure out a way to live with one car until theirs is on the road again. Sacrifice is when you say, there's no way I can do vacation Bible school. I don't even like kids. My house is a wreck. I need to do stuff. I need to prepare for vacation, yada, yada, yada. But you sign up that form and put it in the offering basket or bring it to Anna anyway. That's sacrifice. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm just using it as an illustration. Yeah, right. Sacrifice is when you hear somebody is in the hospital. Your grass is up to your knees. Your dog has been wallowing in poop in the backyard. It's the ninth inning. The bases are loaded. The score is tied. But you go to the hospital and you minister to your brother or your sister. See, the church is supposed to be that group of people who are constantly and sacrificially helping each other in practical ways and in costly ways. So what is it costing you to be a member of this church? It's a hard question, isn't it? What's it costing you to be a member of UPC? It ought to be costing you something. It ought to be costing you some time. A lot of you are already doing that. It ought to be costing you some money. It ought to be costing you some energy with your gifts and your abilities. That's what it means to join a church. 
and to serve Christ together to build this gospel atmosphere. I love what I heard Martin Luther King Jr. say one time in a sermon. He was preaching on the Good Samaritan story. And this is beautiful. He said in that sermon, he said, you know, the priest and the Levite just walked on by. And he said the first question that the priest and the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? See, that's usually the question I'm asking when I see someone in need. If I stop to help, what's going to happen to me? But King went on to say, the Good Samaritan said, if I don't stop to help this man, what will happen to him? That begins to build and breed an air of gospel sacrifice when we begin to ask that question. If I don't do this, if I don't give that, if I don't serve, what will happen to them? The second ingredient of this relational culture that I'm talking about is humble vulnerability. Humble vulnerability. See, we need to have a healthy kind of dependence upon one another that doesn't shy away from asking for help or from receiving help. Sometimes the hardest thing for us to do as Christians is ask for help. Sometimes the hardest thing for us to do as Christians is receive help when it's given to us. But that kind of vulnerability is modeled in this passage by the Apostle Paul. Now, as I said earlier, Paul is in prison. He's under house arrest in Rome. He was chained 24-7 to a Roman guard. So taken away from Paul was the comforts of home, free uh, freedom and friends and family and so on. And here, above all else, was what was troubling Paul. He didn't know what was going to happen to him the next day. A sentence of guilt could have been passed down. Paul could have been yanked out of that house arrest situation and taken somewhere and executed right away. He didn't know what was going to happen to him the next moment. And so in that situation, Paul could have played the macho man. Paul could have pretended he was Captain America or Captain Israel, I suppose. He could have used all of the biblical cliches, right? He could have written a letter filled with things like, Jesus is all I need. I am doing great. God is going to work all things together for good for me in this situation. I'm just trusting in the Lord. But Paul didn't do that. He didn't just fill his letter with nice-sounding cliches. He didn't pretend that he had it all together. Instead, Paul viewed himself as a broken sinner in need of the love and care of his brothers and sisters in Christ. You see this in verse 23. Look at that verse. It's fascinating. Verse 23 says, he says, I hope to send Timothy to you as soon as I see how things go with me. Now, don't pass over that too quickly. Listen to it again. I hope to send Timothy to you as soon as I see how things go with me. In other words, he says, I hope to send Timothy to Philippi, but not until I know what's going to happen to me. Because if I'm sentenced to die, I need Timothy to stay here. I'm going to wait until I know what's going on with me before I let him go because I need this brother. Paul admitted his need of the physical presence of another Christian. And in verse 30, Paul goes on to admit the need of the help of the Philippians. He talks about, 
you, you know, you, you weren't able to help me. Epaphroditus came to help me. Thank you. Last week, if you were here, we talked about contentment in chapter four, where Paul says, it was good of you to share in my troubles. What I, I hope you're hearing is that Paul is an honest man. He's saying, I need help. I need my brother. I need you Philippians. That's humble vulnerability. You know, one of the things that I grieve is the fact that admitting need in the church is seen by so many people as a sign of weakness and even sin. Some of you even seem, if I could be honest with you, some of you seem to find it impossible to ask for help. And I hope you see from Paul that you are supposed to come forward with your vulnerability and your need. For example, some of you have a marriage in crisis and yet you refuse to go to counseling or to tell your life group about the situation or ask for marriage mentoring or speak to one of our elders or speak to one of the pastors. Some of you are struggling with your devotional life and and I guess it seems too hard to come out with it and say, I need help. Show me, how can I read the Bible more effectively? What can I do? Some of you need money and you won't talk to the deacons about it. That's one reason they're there. Some of you have a problem with pornography or fear or loneliness or worry or, as we talked about last week, discontentment, and yet you won't tell anybody about it. That makes me sad. I grieve that. That's not the way a gospel atmosphere is supposed to feel. What does it say about the gospel when we who believe the gospel will not open up about our struggles and our sins? We've been forgiven for crying out loud. We've been justified by grace through faith in Jesus Christ for crying out loud. We ought to be the ones who most immediately come out with what it is that's hard for us. The scriptures even say to what? Confess your sins to each other and pray for one another that you may be healed. James 5.16. But what do we do? We put on a happy face, many of us, and we struggle on hoping that things will magically get better. No wonder, no wonder, friends, that a lot of non-Christians, I don't know if you know this, but a lot of non-Christians think we're phonies. Let's change that. Let's be real. Humble vulnerability is what God is calling us to. UPC should be the safest place in East Orlando to be a sinner. Say it again. UPC should be the safest place in East Orlando to be a sinner, to not have it all together, to be struggling and wondering what am I going to do about this? Because the truth of the gospel says nothing that you do can make God love you more than he already does. And nothing you do can make God love you less than he already does. If you are in Christ today, you are beautiful and delightful to God. We're a band of brothers and sisters. So let's be humbly vulnerable in this church. That's the, that's the second ingredient that it, I think it takes to become the people in here that God wants to create out there. Third and finally, not only joyful sacrifice and humble vulnerability, but God wants us to have a missional mindset, a missional mindset. Look at what Paul says about these two guys, Timothy and Epaphroditus. Verse 22, 
Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. Verse 25, I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger. Verse 30, he almost died for the work of Christ. Notice the three words, work, worker, work. Friends, if we're going to be in here, what God wants to create out there, if we want to build a relational culture at UPC, one of the best ways to do that is for us to put our hands to the plow and work together. Whether it's in VBS, as I said earlier, or the Cherokee mission trip or the Saturdays of service that we do periodically or going down to the corner and ministering at the Life Care Center or serving in the after-school program in Bithlow or handing out food and clothing through the Samaritan Resource Center or whatever it needs to be, we should be a people who come together to serve our community and take the gospel to the nations. The movie Rocky, was it too long ago to remember? The very first movie Rocky, Rocky's in love with a shy girl named who? Adrian, right? She works in a pet store. She has a brother named Polly. You remember? Polly is Rocky's best friend, right? Remember? And Polly comes up to Rocky one day and he says, what do you see in her? Why are you in love with my sister, Adrian? What do you see in her? And Rocky says, it's because she has gaps. Gaps, says Polly. You know, G-A-P-S, says Rocky. She's got gaps and I got gaps. And between the two of us, our gaps meet and we sort of fill each other in. Friends, our community, our world, they are full of gaps. So what we learn from Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus is to go find a gap and join or gather a bunch of friends And go fill it in. And as you and I do that together, what will we be doing but building a relational atmosphere, a gospel culture that will glorify God and ripple outward to the people who are desperately in need of the gospel of Jesus. Joyful sacrifice, humble vulnerability, a missional mindset. These are the things that will help get us there and bring blessing to the needy world around us. How are we going to do that? Be like Timothy, right? Be like Epaphroditus, right? No, no, that's not it. Earlier in this same chapter, it says your mind should be that of Jesus Christ, who though he were in the form of God, thought not equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being found in likeness as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. The way we can begin to build this gospel culture is to so be enraptured with Jesus who is the perfect sacrifice, who was humbly vulnerable and who had the missional mindset that saved and redeemed us because he came to earth on the mission of forgiving sinners like you and me. May that gospel story so fill our hearts that we will be changed into His likeness. And so we too can be joyfully sacrificial, humbly vulnerable, 
and missional in all that we do. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, as we think about Jesus and the mission that he came on to save our souls, we praise and thank you that he put our interests above his own. Lord, he served us instead of demanding that he be served. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you put our situation, our burden, our needs above your own situation, even to the point that our distresses became your distress. Our sins, you took them on yourself and were punished in our place. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for this meal that we're about to enjoy together. We thank you for the bread. We thank you for the cup. For they do show us that your love took you all the way to death for us. And so, Lord Jesus, we pray that as we commune with you by faith, as we commune with each other, that you will begin again to grip our hearts with your love and grace in such a way that it will produce brokenness and sacrifice. It will produce vulnerability and humility. It will produce this desire to serve you and to work hard together and to give up sleep and comfort so that we might take the gospel to the nations and the community around us. Bless our, our uh, meal today, we pray. Separate these common elements of bread and wine and juice from their common use for the special use of being means of grace in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We at University Presbyterian Church thank you for listening to this message. Our mission is to help people know God, grow together, and serve others. To learn more about the church or how to have a vital relationship with God, visit our website at www.upc-orlando.com or call our offices at 407-384-3300.